Good evening. You're listening to the Parliament of Rooks podcast, episode 8. Seventh hour of the seventh day of the seventh month on episode... Podcast. I'm your host, Thomas Lanise. And with him, as usual, is his beautiful wife, Melanie Lanise. So, as you might infer from our title, uh, yes, indeed, there has been a scheduling mishap around uh, Parliament Way. Uh, this episode was actually supposed to be episode seven. Um, when I was first laying out the uh, the overall schedule for um, you know the episodes we want to cover, obviously there's going to be some flexibility built in, um, but there were certain episodes that you know just in my mind I, I thought would be appropriate for certain numbers. You know, I have a special episode you know for episode 52, episode you know 100 if we ever get there. Um, certainly episode 13 is going to be really big, you know, for a magic related show. Mm-hmm. Um, but episode seven uh, I had specifically geared for this character that we're going to be covering tonight. Um, but a couple episodes back, when we made the choice to, uh, you know, split the Mark Merlin Eclipso thing across two different episodes, I never, like, sort of rejiggered the, the schedule. So, unfortunately, you know, it, it's not going to line up as, you know, as I would have it. But that being said, um, given how, like, you know, goofy this particular character is and how he always gets everything wrong, you know, maybe it's appropriate then that, that I got it wrong. Maybe, uh, <laughs> you know, this, this character, uh, who I should probably go ahead and name right now, uh, is a guy by the name of Johnny Thunder. Is it somebody that your audience knows? Uh, well, yeah, certainly um, my audience would know him. And you would actually know him a tiny, tiny little bit. When we um, when we did the first, uh, oh, offline, when we read the uh, the first sort of series of Earth 2 stories, when the two Flashes were first meeting, um, there was that one called The Vengeance of the Immortal Villain. Do you remember Vandal Savage, the sort of caveman guy, had yeah. captured all the members of the Justice Society? Well, one of those guys in, in one of the boxes was Johnny Thunder. Uh, he was sort of the um, straight-laced guy. He didn't went out wearing a superhero costume. He was just wearing like a green suit. Um, but he didn't actually do anything in that story. Um, uh, okay. So, uh, so this episode will be the first one where we actually delve into him a little bit. He is a um, golden age creation, obviously a member of the Justice Society. Mm-hmm. And um, but unlike the majority of those superheroes, he's actually a humor-related strip, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I say quote unquote because you know, as you'll see as we take a look at these stories, you know, I, I don't think they're particularly funny. Um, but they, you know, maybe the the humor I think was you know different back in the golden age. Mm, yeah, uh, yeah. What it reminds me most of, and um, and I think you're definitely going to get this vibe is. Um, did you ever see um, the Disney version of Aladdin? With Robin Williams? Yeah, yeah, that's the genie. Um, that's basically the same type setup here. You know, basically Johnny Thunder is a um, straight-laced guy, you know, but uh, not, the, not the brightest bulb on the planet. You know, and suddenly he becomes in possession of, you know, this mystical genie-like thing, the Thunderbolt. You'll see. <laughs> um, but is unable to control him to, you know, the best of his desires. So, like I say, very close parallel to the type of story that played out in the Disney Aladdin. Okay. Yeah. Got it. So, he is the creation of a, uh, a writer named um, John Wentworth and an artist named uh, Stan Ash. Um, you, you, you'll see, but um, Stan Ash is definitely not one of my favorite Golden Age artists. Okay. Um, he... Uh, you had remarked uh, a couple episodes ago when we were looking at Dr. Fate, you know, that um, Howard Sherman had a sort of stiffness in his artwork. 
Stanash is that, um, but in spades. Really almost, and you know, I don't want to offend anybody if there's, you know, Stanash fans out there, but really sort of like immature artwork, in my opinion. It almost looks like a little kid drew it, you know? <laughs> like he, um, he, he's associated with characters like uh, Dr. Midnight and uh, Mr. Terrific. I think um, I think he might have been the artist on uh, Sargon the Sorcerer, what, Mr. Terrific? Yeah. <laughs> yeah well, <laughs> no, he's, he's a cool character. You'll, you'll get to know him too, but... Um, Really sort of strange anatomy, like, you know, the, the heads in his, yeah. his artwork seem like, you know, oversized or something. Yeah, that's kind of bug me. Yeah, so we'll, we'll take a look at that uh, right now. Matter of fact, let's jump right into it. Um, the first appearance of Johnny Thunder um, is from Flash Comics number one from January of 1940. Um, we had talked a couple episodes, I'm not sure whether you remember this, about how uh, DC Comics back in the Golden Age was sort of um, two different companies. Um, you know, there was National Comics, you know, which handled like Superman, Batman, so on and so forth. But then I'd also mentioned there was a separate company called All-American Comics. Right. Yeah. Flash Comics was a really important title on the All-American side. Uh, it was basically an anthology uh, title that uh, a wide variety of superheroes uh, appeared in. Um, two of the big ones were the Gardner Fox creations we had talked about. Um, Flash, obviously, the uh -huh. title's named after him. Um, but then also Hawkman. Um, there was other characters. Uh, the Whip appeared there. Um, he was like sort of a, a Latin American hero who would fought crime with a whip. And um, Cliff Cornwall, who's like sort of a, a secret agent pilot type guy. Um, but also, as I say, this humor title, uh, Johnny Thunder. Um, so let's go ahead and take a look at the very first issue of Flash Comics. So we see the cover, and um, this sort of layout is uh, is very much a golden age thing. You know, I've seen this, um, you know, in, in several different uh, titles, um, where you would have the uh, the main action of one character with little vignettes of other characters, you know, appearing in that book. Um, so obviously, the the, t the titular character, Flash, you know, is there stopping a bullet from you know hitting this little damsel in distress. But then along the side, we sort of have like you know little inset shots of, of Hawkman. Uh, Johnny Thunder, who's, uh, you know, looks like giving a, a sock on the jaw to, uh, to a fellow here. Uh, he the, he's the one in the apron? Yeah, he's wearing an apron. And, and this is basically just a shot from the story. So we'll see how that plays in. Uh, the whip, you know, I mentioned before. And there's in the bottom, Cliff Cornwall. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we're going to sort of flip through um, to the uh, the middle of the uh, the comic book. Obviously, you know, the, these Golden Age features, you know, like I say, ran sort of, you know, six to ten pages or whatever, you know. And, and there was a handful of them. So let's just turn to our... Uh, or Johnny Thundertail, uh, which we see here in its very first appearance is referred to as Johnny Thunderbolt. That title will last uh, for about six issues. I think it's just more of a stylistic type thing. His name's actually just Johnny Thunder. Um, so we begin as we see a fellow named Simon B. Thunder, who apparently was a bank clerk in the Case National Bank, who lived in a four-room cottage with a bath in the Bronx section of New York with his wife Mildred Thunder and his infant son, John L. Thunder, who they called Johnny. You see little uh, baby Johnny there in his uh, his high chair, you know, smashing his uh, farina, saying "boom." How do you know it's farina? I don't know. This is what it is nineteen thirties, <laughs> whatever. So it's probably farina. So actually, it's not nineteen thirties because one night in August nineteen eighteen, Simon came home from the bank and found a crowd around his house. "What's up, Mister?" says uh, Simon. "Search me." "Simon," says uh, Mildred, coming out. "Our Johnny's been kidnapped." "Don't worry," says Simon. We'll probably get a ransom note, and the police will throw out a dragnet. We'll get our Johnny back. But they didn't get him back, because something very peculiar happened to little Johnny Thunder. As you see, uh, the kidnappers saying, Pour the whole bottle on him. We don't want any mistakes. Wah! Says uh, baby Johnny. And what they're pouring is uh, apparently some hair dye. 
uh, as he's glubbing, as they're they're putting it through his his blonde locks. They won't be able to tell him from a little Badnesian baby as soon as he's dry, says this woman. His own parents wouldn't know him. Bloop, (laughs) says baby Johnny. (laughs) So a month later, uh, these evil folks smuggled Johnny into Badnesia, thousands of miles away from the Bronx. They took him to the priest of Asur in the temple of the Seven Great Gates. Here's the male child you sent us forth to get, most puissant guardian of the Seven Great Gates, says the uh, kidnapper. And this, uh, this puissant guardian says, You're sure he was born in the seventh circle of the moon of Lassine? Positive, says the kidnapper. According to the American calendar, at 7 a.m. on the 7th of July, 1917, we saw his birth certificate. Perfect, says the priest. We will proceed with the ceremony at once. So what they do is they dress Johnny in seven emeralds of strength, and they take him through the seven great gates and lay him on the altar of Asur, and, uh, and they begin chanting, Burikesh! And then in the background, uh, these people are chanting a single phrase. And what would you think that phrase is pronounced? See you? It's very astute. <laughs> yes, it's very close, as we'll see. Um, but the chanting continues. Corporal, Vashni, Shinur, Keverly, Perkis, Shubira, Ralabirth, Say you, say you. Say me. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so on to Johnny, they put the eternal zone of the zodiac, basically a sort of a fancy zodiacal belt, and pronounce the sacred word say you, which in the American language, the text tells us, sounds like say, oh. say you. Had uh, I read <laughs> yeah. in advance. So they say this seven times, and that spells the end of the ceremony, as they're holding him aloft and everyone's shouting, say you. Oh, Badnesians, the child is now prepared. Guard him with your lives, for when he's seven years old, he will have the power to rule the world, and he is ours. Wow, that's, that's kind of scary. But apparently before that happens, uh, word leaks out that the Badnesians have a scheme for ruling the world. So their neighboring country of Agolia, their ancient enemy, starts a war to gain possession of little Johnny Thunder. All is lost, says the uh, Badnesian priest. Take the child into hiding until he's seven years of age, then we'll strike back, he tells uh, uh, sort of woman assistant here. In the foreground, we see uh, little Johnny, you know, hair and apparently skin dyed, uh, shaking hands with a, with a monkey. The monkey's really cute. Yeah, he's dressed in one of those little, like, organ grinder outfits with a, a little <laughs> vest and a hat. Um, so the woman goes and hides uh, little Johnny in a fishing village north of uh, Brunei in Borneo. Someday we'll return to Badnesia in glory, you and I, says the woman to little Johnny. But one day, uh, when Johnny's five, he gets away from his jailer nurse. Ding, bust it, he says. I never get to play by myself. Ding, bust it? Yeah, why does he speak English? <laughs> Shouldn't he speak Badnesian? <laughs> That's a good point. Um, so anyway, he goes along to play in the boats along the beach. This'll be fun, says little Johnny. I'm going to pretend to be a big sailor. Um, but the tide comes in. As a breeze springs up, and the first thing Johnny knows, Borneo is 23 miles behind him. Whee, says Johnny at the prow of the uh, the boat. I am a real big sailor. Ahoy, cries a... Uh, a man down from a freighter. And uh, so we see, aboard the American freighter, the Eastern Seas, Say, Captain Kosher, there's nothing but a kid in that peanut shell. Put a boat overside, says Captain Kosher, and pick him up. I've asked, young fellow, who do you think you are, Columbus? And, uh, and as they bring him on the freighter, they think, there's something funny about this young and Captain. Bring him up here where we can get a good look at him. His hair's black at the ends, but down here, next to the scalp, it's yellow. This boy's hair's been dyed. And look under his shirt. His body's white. This ain't no native kid. And here's another thing. He's got a strawberry mark on his left shoulder. We better take him back to the States, says the captain. Maybe the police can trace him. 
But meanwhile, back in the States, things hadn't been going so well for Johnny's father. Uh, he'd lost his job at the bank, two more children joined the family, and, uh, and finally, he was able to get some steady work, uh, apparently working on a streetcar. So, one Tuesday, as the Eastern Seas, the freighter, uh, docks in New York, You found this little tyke? You better turn him over to the police. Right you are, sir, says the captain. Um, so we see him uh, approach the streetcar as, uh, coincidentally, there's Johnny's father, Simon, telling uh, another fellow uh, that he can't get on the streetcar holding a pushing lawnmower. Um, but meanwhile, little Johnny's behind there is thinking, Oh, I better hide my monkey. Fares, please, says Simon, as, uh, as the freighter captain lifts young Johnny into the, uh, the streetcar. Um, but Simon spots the, the monkey. Little boy, you're not allowed to bring live animals in here. Uh, but that's when Simon sees the strawberry mark on Johnny's shoulder. Where did you get this boy? says Simon. And thus, Johnny's extraordinary fate reunites him with his family. As we see uh, Johnny all cleaned up and his hair blonde again, you know, sitting with his, uh, his father and mother. Oh, Simon, he's the spitting image of you. So time passes, and the week of Johnny's seventh birthday, a peculiar thing happened. It rained buckets for six days. Regular flood, huh? Ain't seen nothing like it since my grandmother caught her teeth in the ringer. What? That's so weird. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, on the seventh day, it rains cats and dogs and buckets. <laughs> and all this time, though the neighbors' homes were swamped, not a single drop touches the Thunder home. The paper says local showers today. Just goes to show you, says Mildred, you can't trust these weathermen. Uh, but meanwhile, inside, a curious thing is happening. As we see uh, young Johnny's, you know, Badnesian belt start to glow. Uh, what's happening is the uh, charm of the Badnesian priest was taking effect, uh, but none of the Thunder family knew what was going on. When the storm struck all over the world, only the high priest of Assur understood its portent. Men of Badnesia, the storm tells that the ceremony has been successful. In our last war with Agiola, the boy was lost or stolen from us. We must have him back. Find him. Use force him you must, but bring back the son of Simon Thunder. So, the men of Badnesia go to the Bronx. Uh, but Simon Thunder had moved. He changed jobs, too, so the Badnesians are still searching in 1939 when Johnny's 23. Wow. Holy cow, yeah, that's what, <laughs> seven, they've been searching for 16 years. That's quite a bit. Yeah, so, so we got to, um, you know, 23-year-old Johnny Thunder uh, looking for a job. Come right in, young man, says uh, apparently the hiring manager at Cash and Carry Department Stores. I haven't had much experience, sir, says Johnny, but I'm very ambitious to get ahead. That's the spirit I like. You'll do. Report for work tomorrow morning. So, the next morning, Johnny goes to work. Gee, I never thought I'd get up in the world so fast, he says. Wah, 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 because he's a window cleaner now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Say you, Johnny shouts over to a fellow window cleaner. Sorry, I don't know your name. I forgot to bring a sponge. You got an extra one? Sure, says the guy. And our narration tells us, Say you, uh-oh, say you, in the Badnesian spelling. They're both pronounced alike. Johnny Thunder has accidentally said the words that give him power. Mm-hmm. Any command he gives will be obeyed. Here you are, says Johnny's uh, fellow window washer handing in the sponge. Oops! As, uh, his belt snaps. Hang on till I get over there, says Johnny, as the man's holding on for dear life. Good gravy! In frantic haste, Johnny climbs in his window to rush to his fellow workman's assistance. Gangway, says Johnny. And, uh, oh, and here's the apron that he's wearing on the cover. Yeah, yeah. And this is why he's uh, dressed that way. So Johnny scurries past. Hey, hey, you can't rush to the store like that, says the manager. Ah, go jump at a duck, <laughs> says Johnny. <laughs> and, uh, zoom! Uh, suddenly a thunderbolt strikes and a duck appears. <laughs> Boo! Says the man, I guess, surprised at the duck. <laughs> <laughs> so, obeying Johnny's command, the other window washer hangs on till Johnny gets there, then drops. Oh my gosh, stop, stop! 
Zboom! As wow. a thunderbolt strikes again, basically stopping him there in midair. That's crazy. <laughs> so, yeah, the pedestrians are like, you up there, what, what's holding you up? Hanged if I know, says the guy just <laughs> hanging there in air. <laughs> um, hey, are you going to leave me hanging here all day? You got him on your own, says Johnny, come on down. <laughs> and indeed he does, as he suddenly drops, landing on Johnny. Did you have to do it all of a sudden, he says, as the uh, sort of cartoony stars swirl yeah. around his head. Um, but watching in the crowd are two Badnesian agents. That is he. No other could do what he has just done. The son of Simon Thunder. So all the spies in Badnesia in Canada, the USA, and Mexico are summoned at once. Send this telegram, says the evil Badnesian. So by sea, air, and land, all of them hasten to the Bronx. Remember, they say in a secret meeting, he should not be hurt. Badnesia needs him for the terrible power we've given him. Capture him, but if you cannot, then kill him. Well, then Badnesia wouldn't get his power, right, exactly, would they? Yeah. <laughs> so the next morning at the store, uh, the, uh, the manager is telling Johnny, As a reward for saving the life of a fellow employee, the store wishes to present you with this medal. You'll also be head window washer from now on. Oh, thank you, sir, says Johnny. <laughs> it just goes to show, if you're honest, you can get ahead. There he is, say your Badnesian agents. You will come with us. No, wait a minute, says Johnny as they're grabbing him. Look here, you guys. You'll get me in Dutch with the store. You want me to lose my job? Your job means nothing to us. Do not make trouble. What is it you guys are after, anyhow, says Johnny, grabbing the two by the scruff of their coats. They got plenty of nerve, whoever they are. There he is, say another agent coming around the corner. What is this, says Johnny. You will please come with us. My gosh, I'm surrounded. Stop him, as uh, the agents start jumping at him. Good gravy, it's a convention, as Johnny's running through the store and everywhere he turns there's more agents. No, you don't, he says, sucking a dude in the jaw. But the numbers prove to be too much for him, as finally Johnny's cornered. You must come with us or die, says one of the agents, pulling out a uh, a gun. Say, you ape, what are you doing with that gun? Uh-oh, uh-huh. says the narration. Say you, <laughs> say you. Johnny has pronounced the magic words. His power returns for another hour. You belong to us. We are what you made you, say the Badnesians. We hope you're satisfied. Well, I'm not satisfied, says Johnny, jumping up on the counter. You guys get in my hair, every one of you. Go back to where you came from. Scram, fade, blow away. Zaboom! Uh, we don't see a thunderbolt, but we see like sort of pink cloud, you know, begin whisking away the, uh, the Badnesian agents, much to uh, Johnny's confusion, as he thinks a question mark. <laughs> <laughs> Cripes, what a breeze! Mr. Thunder, says the uh, store manager, suddenly coming into, you know, the wreck store. Um, We've had enough of your pranks. You've wrecked the store which befriended you. You're fired. I I was just trying to protect myself, says Johnny. Get out, says the uh, the manager. You call that justice? Just an ordinary guy trying to lead an ordinary life, says the narration. And this happened to him. How can Johnny learn to master the terrible power he possesses? See the next issue of Flash Comics. So, yeah, so that's the setup for Johnny Thunder. Like I say, you know ostensibly a humor strip, but did you find that particularly funny? No, not really. And actually, uh, is is this the uh, the Stan Ash it's art? Stan Ash, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I see what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, very stiff. Like, look where he's punching him there. It's just sort of like, you know, very like sort of childish. Yeah. We'll post this picture on the uh, on the Facebook group, but yeah, it's uh, kind of goofy art. Yeah, I agree. So Johnny Thunder would, you know, continue in that same type of vein, you know, for the next couple issues of The Flash, you know, basically just like getting into goofy situations, trying to get little jobs, you know, messing up and, you know, all the while not realizing that he has this power, you know, where all these bizarre things are happening. Mm-hmm. Um, during that time, um, he did have uh, an additional appearance um, that I would like to cover. 
Um, there's not too many reprints of Johnny Thunder Tales. You know, I, I don't know why. Like, you know, obviously they were popular enough back in the day. He ran for, you know, quite a number of years. Um, but in modern times, there's only really a handful of them reprinted. Um, so one of the ones that is reprinted, though, and that I happen to have, um, is in the uh, one of uh, DC Archive volumes called uh, DC Comics Rarities. Mm -hmm. um, this publishes um, two issues of New York's World's Fair comics. Um, two of the huge things in, in comics from the, the Golden Age, you know, obviously were World War II, that was on everybody's mind. Right. But then also the 1939 World's Fair appears in a, a huge number of comics books during that time. Um, so much so that they even put out, like I say, two dedicated issues, you know, just for that, that they would sell at the fair. Um, they did one in uh, 1939 and then one in 1940. Um, and this one is from, uh, you know, the second issue thereof. Um, this volume, by the way, also collects The Big All-American, which is one of my all-time favorite comic covers. Oh, yes, I've seen that. Oh, so one other thing, though, it's probably worth noting. Um, I mentioned when we had done the Dr. Fate things that Golden Age stories don't often have titles, um, yes. but then they were, you know, applied after the fact. That one that we just read um, later on was uh, dubbed uh, The Kidnapping of Johnny Thunder, and uh, and this one we're about to read, you know, right on the nose is called At the 1940s World Fair. <laughs> so, oh, well, okay. Yeah. So, another episode here of Johnny Thunderbolt. About 20 years ago, agents from the land of Badnesia ran away with Johnny Thunder, their high priest Asur put a black spell on Johnny that gave him unusual power. Whenever he utters the words, say you, the Badnesians call it, say you, in right. that other spelling, Johnny's special thunderbolt jogs folks with a couple thousand volts unless they obey his every wish. <laughs> As we see Johnny, you know, walking down the street, sort of like pulsating energy. What's eating all these good people? <laughs> Some people are running away. Get away from me, you human dynamo. Oh my gracious, look at him. Look, Ma, the guy's full of static, says a little kid. You see, Johnny's just an ordinary guy, really, and he'd like to live a regular life, but the doggone bolt won't let him. It wrecks his fun. For instance, as we see a, a little flashback with Johnny on the golf course and a fellow saying, I'll bet you a buck you don't make a hole-in-one. Say, you know you're taking an awful chance, don't you? And that's right, he is taking a chance, because Johnny just said, say you. Mm -hmm. And you know what that means. Mm -hmm. um, so Johnny drives the ball. God, they really drive that point home, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> I can at least try. Ha ha, says Johnny's fellow golfer. I win the bet. Look where Johnny's ball's going. Um, but all of a sudden, wham! As we see the thunderbolt hit the ball. Get in that hole, says the thunderbolt. Who are you shoving? Says the ball, suddenly anthropomorphic. <laughs> a little creepy face. Wow. And the ball rolls docilely into the cup. When Johnny's foursome gets to the green, they all look at the cup. Well, I'll be. Say, I'll bet you can't do that again. As I said, Johnny, all I can do is try. And by gosh, Johnny does go all the way around the 18-hole golf course and only takes 18 strokes to do it. This is a course record, but Johnny can't get anybody to play golf with him anymore. Are you sure he doesn't know? Like he, like he's not getting an inkling? That he has the Thunderbolt thing? No, he's a, that's, that's part of the story, right? He's a complete dullard and has no idea that this stuff is, is even going on. He just thinks he's got horrible luck. Um, so anyway... Um, Meanwhile, while this is going on, the World's Fair is opened. So Johnny decides that he's going to take his girl, Daisy Darling, <laughs> out there and give her a thrill. And we see uh, Johnny and, and Daisy in a nice sort of uh, candy cane striped dress. No, 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 that's Waldo's mom. <laughs> Waldo's mom. <laughs> we'll go out to the fair lots of times, Daisy, so we can see it all, says Johnny. Gee, I'm glad you asked me to go with you there, Johnny. I missed it last year. So they're on the subway. We're going to have a swell time, Daisy, says Johnny. I brought lots of dough. 
is a shame, says a pickpocket, but I got to do it or I won't have any fun at the fair. As he's uh, reaching into to Johnny's uh, pocket and pulling out his wallet. So they get to the entrance gate. Say, you know what, Daisy? Somebody's stolen my wallet. Hmm, says Daisy, all annoyed. Johnny doesn't have to worry, though, because he just said, say you. The magic words. He can have anything he wants for an hour, if only he knew it. So you see, he doesn't know it. <laughs> so at the next ticket window, one please, says the uh, pickpocket using Johnny's money to buy his own admission. Honest, Daisy, I did have my wallet when I left the house, says Johnny in the background. Um, and Johnny looks over and sees the pickpocket there, you know, with his wallet. Gee, unless that guy has the same initials as me, that's my wallet. You're right, Johnny, says Daisy Darling. It does look like it. Oh, I better take it on the lamb, says the pickpocket. Hey, mister, says Johnny, chasing him toward the turnstile. Um, but he stopped short by the uh, the fair guard. I tell you, that man stole my money. I'm supposed to spend here at the fair. You can't crash the gate with that stale hard luck story, buddy, says the uh, the guard. Boo-hoo, and I had my heart on seeing. Boo-hoo. <laughs> it's just a fair, Daisy. Chill out. Yeah, <laughs> it's no good, though. Johnny and Daisy can't get in, so they decide to go back to the city by bus. While they're waiting at the bus stop, though, they uh, they peer over at the the fair in the distance, and uh, you see in the background those two big buildings, uh-huh. the uh, sort of pyramidal thing and the the globe. Those are the sort of iconic um, symbols of, of the nineteen thirty nine World's Fair. Those buildings are called the Trilon and the Parisphere. You know, they they would make little like salt and pepper shakers out of them, or like you know little tchotchkes oh, nice. or whatever. Yeah, it's very much a, an iconic image. Um, and then Johnny says, you know, that's the Trilon over there. See, why it looks just like it does in pictures. Isn't that wonderful? Says Daisy. Don't you wish we were over there on top of the Trilon so we could look down at all the people in the fair? I sure do, says Johnny. Look out, Johnny, says the narration. The spell's still on you, as zing, (laughs) the uh, uh, thunderbolt appears and does exactly that. Brings Mm -hmm. him to the top of the Trilon. Hang on, Daisy, (laughs) they say as they're holding on to this pyramid for dear life. You didn't think I was going to stop and powder my nose in a moment like this, did you, says Daisy. (laughs) As a crowd gathers below, you know, just in astonishment at what's going on. And among that crowd is the uh, the little dip, says the narration, who lifted Johnny's wallet. Ain't it wonderful? I suppose there are a couple of acrobats. Something new's going on here every day, says the crowd. How will they get down, Ma? Says the little boy. Jiminy, says Johnny, <laughs> on top of the uh, trilon. If only we had a parachute or something, we might make a chance at jumping. You might, but I wouldn't, says Daisy, clearly petrified. Mm. But... All Johnny has to do is wish for something, and as suddenly a parachute appears on him. Come on, Daisy. If you won't jump, I will, and that'll leave you up here all alone. Johnny Thunder, if you leave me up here, I'll scream. <laughs> no so, one will hear you. So by gosh, Johnny and Daisy make a daring leap for life. As Johnny takes her in his arms and they jump, and the parachute uh, deploys. They're jumping. Oh, ah, what a thrill. Steve Brody had nothing on them. Uh, very obscure reference. Steve Brody is a dude from like the 1800s who I think jumped off the Brooklyn Bridge. Oh, wow. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy how you knew that stuff. I, I'm very smart. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, but unfortunately, um, <laughs> as they their parachute descends, they land in a uh, a, a pool. Oh, probably the high diving pool. No, oh, maybe. Darn it! I didn't jump far enough. Says Johnny. I don't care so long as we don't break a leg or two legs. Says Daisy. I can think of 18 drier ways of getting into this fair, she says as they're climbing out of the pool. And they're all half as scary, too, says Johnny. Young lady and young man, says a, uh, a park official approaching them. The publicity we'll get from your daring act is worth thousands of dollars. I hereby give you to the key to this place. Any and every exhibit is open to you, both free. Well, that's rather uh, kind of him, because <laughs> we're breaking safety violations. We hereby reward you. <laughs> 
Gee, Daisy, says Johnny, holding his key. Maybe it was worth it to get all wet after all. Sure, the sun's good and hot, says Daisy. We'll be dry in no time. Is that a chipper attitude? Yeah. So the first exhibit Johnny and Daisy go to is the Corporal Electric Company to see the wonderful man-made lightning. You're perfectly safe here, says the uh, guide. Any thunderbolts that come out this way are grounded by the wire screens. Well, if you say you are safe, I guess we are, <laughs> says Johnny in an awkward way, I think, to yeah. force in the say you. Except that Johnny just accidentally said say you again. Whoops. And when that happens, the rules are off. His own thunderbolt power is good for another hour. Now, if you're all ready, says the exhibit guide, we'll make a thunderbolt jump from the big steel ball on one side to the one on the other side. Here we go. As he throws the switch in, zaboom, we see a sort of arc of electricity. That's huge. Yeah. Wow, eek, woo, says the uh, apparently easily amused 1940s crowd. <laughs> Gee, says Johnny Thunder, imagine what fun you could have if you had a thunderbolt like that to fool around with. Oh, the irony. <laughs> <laughs> what would you do with it, Johnny, says Daisy. Now, in the next experiment, uh, continues the guide, we'll make a three-phase bolt jump from here to there. Oh, I'd say, says Johnny. Come on, Thunderbolt, chase everybody but Daisy and me out of this room. Why, <laughs> Johnny, says uh, Daisy. But since Johnny commanded it, whammo, as we see the uh, the Thunderbolt. His, wow. Yeah, his Thunderbolt right zipping around the room. Let me out of here. Holy smoke, one of the bolts got out of the cage. Yo, hope. <laughs> this is one hit the dude in the butt. Yeah, they all think it's from the exhibit. Mm -hmm. um, so oblivious to the riot going on behind him, Johnny rattles on. Oh, it'd be kind of fun to think they're giving this whole show for us, says Johnny. And if we were alone in the dark... You might even hold my hand, says Daisy. Um, as, but meanwhile, the crowd behind them is still, like, you know, in an uproar. And that confounded thunderbolt get loose. And as Daisy hears it and says, oh, my goodness, what thunderbolt? And she turns around and, <laughs> and Johnny says, I don't even see any audience. Do you suppose the demonstration's over? Um, so I guess assuming that it is, Johnny and Daisy leave the corporate electric exhibit um, and say, oh, it was a great show while it lasted. It sure was, says Daisy. Where will we go next? Want to ride around to see the fairgrounds? Says they, uh... Apparently, like, um, complimentary, you know, fair shuttle. Sure, that's a great idea. It's Johnny really cute. climbing in. Yeah, it's like a little buggy. Um, wait a minute, Johnny. You better find out how much this costs, says Daisy. Ugh, Daisy. That, <laughs> <laughs> that reminds me of something else I'd like a private Thunderbolt to do for me if I had one. I'd say, find that guy who stole my wallet. Bring him here and make him give it back to me, says Johnny. Now that's ironic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and indeed, because just at that time, the pickpocket who lifted Johnny's money is eating a hot dog, and uh, Johnny's Thunderbolt, under his command, says, and you see the Thunderbolt's affecting a more humanoid form, mm -hmm. Aha, there's that little pickpocket. These dogs sure are good, says the pickpocket. Do you see what I see? says the uh, hot dog vendor. Duck! As the Thunderbolt, you know, like, plummets down towards him and starts shooting bolts. Shoo! Leave me alone! Beat it! Beat it! says the, uh, the pickpocket running away. I don't believe what I see. Wow, that was close. It isn't raining, yet I see lightning, says a, uh, a dude who is obviously not easily amazed by a humanoid lightning bolt above his head. <laughs> <laughs> Here's your wallet, buddy, says the guy running up to Johnny as the, uh, the Thunderbolt continues chasing him. Heaven's sake, Johnny, says Daisy, look who's here. I never would have took it if I'd known this was going to happen to me. Honest, I wouldn't have. Well, as long as you're feeling so honest, says Johnny, you really ought to give yourself up to the police. You belong in jail, that's what. <laughs> and apparently Ow. the command works because the <laughs> Thunderbolt keeps chasing him. Help, help, police! I'm a pickpocket. Put me in jail. Put me anywhere, just so long as you get this streak of lightning off my tail. All right, if that's the way you feel about it, see the cops. Into the jug you go. So Johnny and Daisy get their ride in the motor chair after all, thanks to Johnny Thunder's obedient Thunderbolt. Here's 20 bucks, chum, says uh, Johnny. Drive us around till it's all gone. 
Boy, oh boy, I will take you for a ride. <laughs> Says the, uh, the driver. Oh, Johnny, you're simply wonderful to me. And that's the way Johnny and Daisy see the New York World's Fair in style. The end. So as I say, you know, that that's pretty much par for the course for, you know, Johnny Thunder, at least in the early days. You know, these ridiculous situations where, you know, like his Thunderbolt just keeps appearing and, and you know, he has no idea what's going on. You know, that World's Fair story was from like you know, summer of 1940, um, you know, and, and the first one we read was from January. So seven months had gone by and he still hadn't figured it out. Um, the next sort of major thing um, for Johnny Thunder is... Um, the, uh, the JSA, you know, I had mentioned that he was a team member. Right. Um, well, he was actually present at the very first meeting of the JSA. You know, when all these superheroes first got together on their very first team meeting, they threw Johnny Thunder in as just sort of an extra, like, you know, comic relief character. That was from winter of 1940, and he still didn't know he had the Thunderbolt. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so okay. a, a full year had gone by. Um, so I figure, you know, I, I don't want to necessarily read uh, the entirety of that first appearance. That's from uh, All-Star Comics number three, like I say, from winter of 1940. Um, JSA stories in All-Star are basically like 60-page stories that are, what they are basically is those, uh, those six-page stories, but one per each of the heroes. So basically they would have a framing oh. sequence to say, tell us about your recent adventure. So there's and, like 10 heroes. Yeah, yeah. So it's just, yeah, it's a bit much. So what we, what we will do, I think, is take a look at the framing sequence, um, because it's so, somewhat important, you know, um, certainly from a historical perspective, you know, and, and you've gotten familiar with a couple of these characters. But then secondarily, like I, I say, you know, it sort of introduces Johnny Thunder into that overall larger universe. Okay. Um, so yeah, so let me pull up the uh, reprint here of All-Star Comics, number three. And we'll take a look at the cover, uh, which is an absolutely iconic cover. Um, th this one here has been homaged multiple times, you know, throughout the, the history of comics. You know, absolutely classic. Uh, we see our, our, our eight initial heroes of the JSA, you know, sort of seated around a, a round table, you know, in their first meeting. And um, as always, you know, with these group things, you know, I, I like to sort of gauge, you know, where you are <laughs> with information retention. Um, so if you would, <laughs> I, I'm going to give you the, the lead here. If you, you sort of rotate around the table and name as many of these characters as you can. Some of them are going to be kind of new, but some you, you've seen before. <laughs> um, okay. I don't know the first three. Okay. That's Flash, that's Hawkman, that's Dr. Fate, that is Green Lantern, right? and Our Man. Our Man. Um, the first three, um, you're right, two of these three you haven't seen before, um, but this little guy in the front you actually have seen before, but in a different costume. And the, and the phrase little guy um, should sort of give you a clue as to, uh, to who he is. Who, who do you think he might be? Well, if you're saying little, then he's got to be the Atom. The Atom, right. And then the other two characters, um, this is the, uh, the Golden Age Sandman. Um, you know, we'll, we'll take a look at him a little bit deeper, I think, later on when we get into that whole Morpheus thing or whatever. Um, but then this character, um, in just a couple episodes, he's going to be our focus. Um, that's another uh, supernatural character called the Spectre. Okay. Yeah. So the way they did this, uh, the way they selected these heroes is uh, basically, obviously, Superman and Batman were the, uh, the big sellers. Um, and they had their own magazines. In addition to appearing in action comics for Superman and detective comics for Batman, there was also a Superman and Batman comic. And so accordingly, they're like, well, we don't need an additional spotlight for those two. Right. Um, but what they did is they took the two most popular characters from four of the other main titles. Um, earlier in this episode, we looked at Flash comics, from which, you know, Flash and Hawkman came. Uh -huh. um, more fun. Obviously, we know Dr. Fate Dr. was from Fate. there. Um, but additionally, the Spectre. Um, from Adventure Comics, you get uh, the Sandman and uh, an Hour Man, and then from All American Comics, that's where the Green Lantern and the and the Atom would have appeared. 
Okay. Right. So now they're all just coming together. They're all coming together. So let's open the cover, and we basically see that that self same thing, you know, replicated here. You know, everybody around the round table, and uh, you know, with the the little roll call: Flash, Spectre, Doctor Fate, Hawkman, Sandman, Hourman, Green Lantern, and the Atom. All Star Comics presents the first meeting of the Justice Society of America. Gathered in the Justice Society club room for their first meeting are the mightiest champions of right and justice in the world. But. Poor Johnny Thunder's been left out of the meeting, and he is sore, as we see uh, Johnny walking along the street, stopping in the newsstand, looking at the, <laughs> the very comic <laughs> books in which these other characters appear. The Flash, Spectre, Hawkman, all members of the Justice Society say, you'd think those guys would invite me. Oh, he said it. <laughs> yeah, but nobody ever thinks about me. And yes, the narration agrees with you, because oops, say you, which in English sounds like say you. Did you hear Johnny say those magic... Badnesian hex words, they give him a terrific power for one hour to do whatever he wishes. He doesn't know what it is that gives him this power, so let's watch to see what happens. Look for the thunderbolt when he makes a wish, says the narration. Okay. Oh, gee, I wish I was going to their old meeting, he says, kicking a fire hydrant. And as he makes that wish, it's happening again, here I go! As the uh, ever-increasingly anthropomorphic Thunderbolt appears, you can see he's yeah, starting to look he's, like a, a he's human. he's a little dude. Yeah, yeah. And he kicks Johnny right in the tuchus. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, as Johnny flies through the air, uh, who does he pass but Dr. Fate? Uh -huh. Hey, Dr. Fate, why aren't you at the meeting? It hasn't started yet. I'm on my way there now, says Dr. Fate, soaring by. And so the hotel where the Justice Society meeting is being held, um, the two of them arrive and see nothing but a bunch of people sleeping. Gosh, what a dead place, says Johnny. Everybody's fast asleep. I've a hunch the Sandman has been busy again. As the Sandman appears, you know, with his, uh, his smoking... Uh, Sand gun. <laughs> so you're the chap that goes around putting people to sleep, says Johnny. Why'd you put these people to sleep? Is the meeting a secret? Exactly, says the Sandman. Look out, here comes another friend of ours. As uh, a whirlwind zips around Johnny. The Flash! Hey, cool down, Mr. Flash. You ain't so hot, <laughs> says Johnny. Oops, Johnny's magic words hex the Flash. Not so hot. You're right, I am sort of chilly, says Flash, you know, breaking oh, yeah. out in, into chills. <laughs> Gee, that power of mine again. I take it back, Flash. Be yourself again, says Johnny. And uh, and as it wears off the Flash, suddenly a, uh, another character appears in a green glow. Hey, everything's getting green. Maybe I'm sick. Too much excitement, says Johnny. But he's not getting sick, because obviously it's the Green Lantern. You touch your ring to the lantern and get supernatural powers, right? Yes, but look above you, says the Green Lantern. Who's that? As uh, a fellow flies in from above. The Hawkman, says Johnny. Gee whiz, you're all getting here now. I wish the rest of the crowd would hurry. Ah, uh, so in answer to Johnny's wish, uh, suddenly three more members appear. And we have uh, Our Man, the Spectre, and, and the Atom, who demand to know uh, both who he is and how uh, he made them come here so quick. Gee, Spectre, I don't know, says Johnny. Honest, I don't. It's a power I have that makes me to be able to do anything I want. Bragging again, Johnny, says the Flash, picking him up and spinning him around. One thing we justice men don't allow is boasting. We don't like swell heads. I ain't got a swell head, said Johnny. It's a small head. Look. <laughs> and apparently that wish comes true because suddenly he's a little, uh, you know, shrunken <laughs> voodoo head. Um, guess you're not so swell headed, Johnny, says our man. What's happened to me? My head doesn't feel right. Come on, Thunderbolt, cut it out. Make my head <laughs> normal again. And soon Johnny's head does grow back to, to normal size. Um, Since you're here, says Hawkman, you might as well eat with us. It's a good dinner. We... Ah, oh, I'll bet there's no dinner at all, says Johnny. Why would he say that? <laughs> but as he says it, his, that wish comes true because poof, their food disappears. The food, it's gone, says Sandman. And just when I was all set to dig into it, says the Atom. 
Um, bearing in mind that neither the Adam nor the Sandman have mouth holes in their costume. So, yeah, they, they should be the least concerned. <laughs> right. So we turn the page, and, uh, and Dr. Fade is also quite upset. The Spectre and I do not touch food, but the rest may be angry at you, Johnny, says Dr. Fate. I'm sorry. I wish there was a turkey and cranberry sauce and all the trimmings right here. And as he says it, that wish comes true, because poof, there's a, a Thanksgiving dinner. Hooray, it worked. Sit down, fellas, let's enjoy ourselves. I never thought I'd get into this meeting, but here I am. And what are you going to contribute for your share of the dinner? asked Flash. I know. I'll contribute an idea. Suppose you each tell me the most exciting experience you ever had. That'll entertain everybody. That's not a bad idea at all, says Flash. It's a good idea, says Adam. But where's Superman, Batman, and Robin? I bet they have some good stories to tell. They would, but since we're all here, somebody's got to look after things and protect people, says the Flash. They're pretty busy right now. And where's Scribbly's pal, the Red Tomato? Uh, you mean the Red Tornado, says Johnny? I bet she's busy too. All right, Flash, suppose you tell your story first. Red Tornado is uh, actually kind of a funny strip. Um, it's a, uh, about a, uh, a mother in the ghetto who is concerned about her kids and their safety. So she decides to become a superhero and she dresses in like that old fashioned red underwear and she puts like a big stock pot on her head and cuts eye holes out of it wow. and goes out there and beats All people. Right. <laughs> oh no, it's, it's a great strip. Um, so anyway, uh, Johnny, you know, proposes that they all tell stories, you know, and first up, you know, is the Flash who, who goes in and, and uh, tells his story. And then, so like I said, we're not going to go through this whole thing, but basically one by one, you know, we have a, a six to eight page spotlight on each one of the characters, you know, Flash tells a story and then Hawkman tells a story, so on and so forth. You know, and this was the, the first meeting. And like I say, just looking at it, you know, because A, it, it's an incredibly, you know, historically important story, but B, also because of the inclusion of Johnny Thunder. Uh-huh. So let me ask you a question. Yeah. Did 12-year-old Thomas read this in one sitting? Um, well, it was a long time before I actually read All-Star number three. I actually um, had a, a, a black and white reprint copy of All-Star number one, but that was in JSA. Um, no, I didn't read this probably until adulthood, I think. You know, I, I read more like modern tales of the JSA. You know, never read their, their first one until much, much later. So one other thing, though, before, you know, we leave um, the conversation uh, about All-Star is um, I mentioned that they didn't include Superman and Batman because they had their own titles. Right. Um, well, eventually, one of those eight winds up getting his own title, you know, based on popularity, you know, reader feedback or whatever. They decided that uh, Flash was popular enough to warrant his own title. Now, obviously, the initial comic that he appeared in was Flash Comics. Of course. So what do, they, what do you think they named the, uh, the next one? Super Flash? <laughs> Super Flash, that's a good <laughs> guess. But no, in, 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 I guess, going with the pattern of All-American and All-Star, they named the, the spinoff title All-Flash. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, yeah. okay. So, um, but as they did that, I, you know, apparently they had, you know, some sort of regulation that, you know, they don't want to over-spotlight these characters. So when that happened, Flash had to resign from the Justice Society as an official member and sort of become like a, um, an honorary member. And when that happened... That opened the doors for a new member, and the first one they went to was Johnny Thunder. Thunder. Yeah, exactly. So we're not going to read this story either, but um, you know, I'll just show you the cover. Um, this is for from All Star Comics number six, and you see it says here the Justice Society of America initiates Johnny Thunder. So, and then you know, here's all our our cast and crew, you know, looking down as the as I say, increasingly humanoid yeah. thunderbolt is. He's uh, got facial expressions. Yeah, sort of zapping. And now he's holding. Behind. He's holding a thunderbolt. He's holding a thunderbolt. Yeah. So I'm going to take this opportunity then. Um, like I say, there's not too many reprints of Johnny Thunder comics out there, but there's a nice website that I used to go to quite a bit called um, Who's 
Hughes. Um, basically, it's a, a guy by the name of Bob Hughes, um, and what he did is basically took all the uh, the DC characters and would um, list out their initial appearances and show you know the uh, the artwork associated with that, and uh, and you know and then attribute it to the the specific uh, artist. Um, and then for some of the characters, if they had multiple important firsts, you know, like, you know, the first time they appeared in costume or the first time, you know, this thing happened or whatever, he would then put multiple panels. Um, so I thought that might be a nice overview then for Johnny Thunder because there's a couple, you know, sort of important highlights to his career, but not, but nothing, you know, from a story perspective that warrants reading the whole story. Okay. So let's pull up um, Who's Who's. And, uh, you know, for folks looking at this, the actual website is dccomicartists.com. And if you, like I say, you tool around there, you know, you um, you find some really neat stuff. Um, so we go to the, uh, the Johnny Thunder page. So hold on, let me ask you a question. In the stories that we'd read, he, they were titled Johnny Thunderbolt. And here it's just Johnny Thunder. So when did that change? Yeah, I think... Um, I think, hey, don't quote me on this, but I want to say the first six issues of Flash were Johnny Thunderbolt, and then um, and then they, they just shortened it to Johnny Thunder, I think, you know? Okay. So yeah, so let's take a look at some of these images here, and uh, you know, we'll highlight the important stuff. Um, so it says, originally called Johnny Thunderbolt, the story of a not very bright young gifted man with a magic thunderbolt began in Flash Comics in January 1940. Uh, the thunderbolt was controlled by the magic word Say You, but Johnny didn't know that and could only say it by accident. Say you'd think they'd clue a fellow in, wouldn't you? <laughs> Jokes, Bob Hughes. <laughs> um, so the feature became John. Oh, here's the answer to your question. The feature became Johnny Thunder in Flash 11. So I was wrong. Uh, in November of 1940, uh, and then he starts talking about some of the supporting elements of the strip. Uh, it says by All Star number two, uh, Johnny picked up his girlfriend Daisy Darling, um, but the Thunderbolt at that point was still just a magic lightning bolt. Well, Star 3, um, which we just looked at, you know, the first appearance of the JSA, mm -hmm. uh, Thunderbolt starts to exhibit a more humanized form. In Flash, 15 of March of 41, uh, Thunderbolt starts to talk. By summer of 1941, uh, Thunderbolt assumed his classic appearance, um, but had not yet settled on a standard color. And you see him here, he's very sort of humanoid, um, but uh, at the same time, you know, sort of uh, electrically charged on all his limbs and, you know, with the um, electric bolts coming out of his head. Mm -hmm. um, but here he's, he's somewhat yellow. Um, but by All-Star 6, as we said, said the uh, initiation of Johnny Thunder, mm -hmm. August 1941, he assumes his uh, standard shading, uh, which is pink. You know, why a Thunderbolt would be pink, I, I don't know. Um, but this is very much the uh, the classic look for, for Thunderbolt right there. Okay. Uh, we continue on, and it says, in Flash 20 of August uh, 41, Johnny finally figures out what the magic word is, uh, which makes him a stronger Yay. force for good. Yeah, as long as he remembers that. All right, that's another uh. silly element, is that um, he, even though he knows the word say you, he's always like, oh, what is that again? I, I can't remember what it is. You know? hmm. So Okay. Yeah. Um, in Flash, oh, in the next issue, Flash 21, September 1941, Johnny adopts a little girl, uh, called Peachy Pet, uh, who gradually replaces Daisy Darling as the main supporting character. It's kind of weird because to begin with, it's a humor strip, and now she is a humor element in a humor strip. She's basically like the comic relief for a comic relief. Well, obviously he needs one. <laughs> he needs one, right? <laughs> Stories that aren't that funny himself. Um... In Flash uh, 42 of June 1943, Johnny and the Thunderbolt are returned to Badnesia, and they introduce the Thunderbolt's family. Um, basically, you find out that uh, Thunderbolt is from a, uh, a different dimension, you know, and he lives there, I guess, you know, with a little Thunderbolt wife. And then, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, about 20 issues later in uh, Flash 69, uh, they introduce his little kid, uh, Shaco, 
who basically then becomes Shaka. yeah a counterpoint to uh, to Peachy Pet, you know, basically just like Johnny Thunder's got his Thunderbolt, you know, she plays around with like it was Shaco. Um, <laughs> for a silly character, um, you know, I was surprised when I was doing the research in this, you know, how ubiquitous he was, you know, throughout the the Golden Age. Um, like I say, you know, he was there at the very beginning in in Flash Comics number one. He actually ran for ninety one issues of Flash. Um, all-star comics he was there you know at the um, the very first appearance of the JSA and with only one exception um, issue number 36 he was there consistently through issue number 40 um, we mentioned he was also in the World's Fair comic uh, the big all-american uh, he was in the first couple issues of World's Finest which was a, um, a Superman Batman team-up title um, and so but, but at the beginning it was sort of an anthology title and so he was in the first three issues of that and then a super, super obscure thing um, on boxes of Wheaties back in the 40s. They gave away a, a free miniature Flash comic. And uh, there was just a couple stories that it was a Flash, a Hawkman star, but there's also Johnny Thunder there. So if you're huh. a completist collector, yeah, you know, <laughs> if you can find that little thing. Um, but yeah, just so, like, you know, like I say, for a goofy character, you know, he obviously had some something of a following because he was uh, uh, quite ever present um, until... Uh, the tide started to turn in uh, in Flash Comics number 86, where, um, you know, we'd said some of the supporting characters uh, for Johnny Thunder, you know, were Daisy Darling and Peachy Pet. Uh, well, in that story, they introduce a third sort of female supporting character. Uh, initially, you know, he thinks she's a criminal, um, but later it turns out that she's actually a hero. And uh, it's one of your favorites. Um, so could you imagine who it might be? It's got to be Black Canary. Black Canary, right. So, yes. Um, so let's go to Bob Hughes' uh, page for her and yeah and we see the the first panel from uh, flash 86 um you know and there's johnny just you know basically uh, you know love struck the little you know heart swirling around his head as he's looking at this uh, you know sexy dame in the leather jacket and, and fishnets and uh so she becomes a, a supporting character in the next handful of stories um like i say from flash 86 through flash 91 and then in flash 92 they say you know what She's more popular than Johnny. <laughs> they, they cancel him and then replace her, you know, with, with her strip. And then additionally, um, I, I don't know exactly when this happens or whatever, but eventually she winds up replacing him in the JSA too. Oh, <laughs> to good. Take okay. his spot there. So, uh, so yeah, so that is um, basically the, the golden age history of, uh, of Johnny Thunder. Nice. Um, I had hoped to continue on into uh, his Silver Age reintroduction the same way we did with uh, Dr. Fate, um, but I'm looking at a recording time, and we actually b burned up close to an hour already with just oh, wow. those couple like Golden Age stories, you know, even though they were just a, you know, a handful of pages. Um, so, that went fast. Yeah, so I think similar to the way that you know, I had screwed up the order of this episode, this was supposed to be episode 7, I wound up with episode 8, it looks like we're actually going to have to split it into two and take that in episode 9. So, curse you, Johnny Thunder! <laughs> <laughs> So, um, but with that in mind, you know, let's, uh, I guess we'll cut this one short and, you know, I'll just turn it right over to you then for your, your reactions to the stories that we did read. Um, we took a look at, uh, two full Golden Age stories and then, you know, a couple pages of, of another one. Um, so I guess first would have been the, uh, the kidnapping of Johnny Thunder from, uh, from Flash Comics number one, uh, his origin and introduction. Um, but, you know, let me first get your overall impressions of the story and then, you know, we'll move into, uh, your, your judgment. What did you think of, uh, Flash number one? Okay. So, um, I have to say that, you know, I'm, I'm pretty visual and the first thing that I noticed is that I, I agree with you about Stan Ash's artwork. Mm -hmm. Uh, his anatomy is off, 
But I think the most disturbing thing is his inconsistent scale. Like sometimes the heads are too big, sometimes they're too small. Yeah. You know, um, his facial features were harsh, or in in other panels they were non-existent. How do you mean harsh? Like the lines were too heavy. Yeah. Or something. It just it seemed it seemed strange looking at. Almost it. like caricature type thing. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. And then, like other times, it would they would there would just be like two dots for eyes. Yeah, yeah, and in, in like long shots. Yeah, I saw that too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, overall, like the artwork not so good. A little juvenile, definitely lacking. Um, humor wise, because you had mentioned he was supposed to be a humorous character. It's supposed to be. It's supposed to be. <laughs> but it reminded me of um, other things that are supposed to be humorous that I don't particularly find humorous myself. Like, like what? Like Bob Hope. Bob yeah. Hope. Yeah, yeah. Um, or here's one that you're going to disagree with me about is Three Stooges. No, oh, for Pete's sakes. No, <laughs> you, you've always got a thing against like Golden Age humor. You know, like Abbott and Costello or the Three Stooges. But Abbott and Costello are fine. The Three Stooges, I just don't like people going around hitting each other. It's yeah, not cool by me. Yeah, but I, yeah, I'm never going to win you over on that. But I do see no. the sort of Bob Hope parallel. It definitely, it's sort of like dry humor, you know, sort of like long pauses, like, ha, here's a funny thing, and wait, wait, wait for the beats. Yeah, I saw right. that in the, uh, the Johnny Thunder tales too. So, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. So while it's not up my alley, it's it's definitely a sign of the times. Now I was wondering—he was a popular character. Um, well, like I say, I don't, you know, I, I don't know, like as far as fan feedback, whether he was popular. But certainly, if you ju- judge it on longevity, yeah, I mean, he had more stories than you know a great number of characters. You know, he's up there, you know, certainly with like the Flash of the Green Lantern as far as number of stories appeared in. Huh. Yeah. Okay. I also found it was it was a little weird that he was unaware of his power. Well, yeah, at least initially. Yeah, you know, I mean, like. You gotta wonder. I mean, like he's had to be like insanely stupid. Well, that's to, the like, way they play it up, right? I guess you know, but um, I think that it, it could potentially play out well for the audience, mm. you know. But anyway, oh, and the last thing, the whole setup of the story to have like a seven-year-old with the power to <laughs> to rule the world. Yeah, well, the Batnesians are going to control them, right? Yeah, well, still, I mean, a seven-year-old with that kind of power, that's thats a really scary concept. Yeah, well, even as an adult, Johnny's got the brain power of a seven-year-old, so. <laughs> <laughs> so. But overall judgment, then, for uh, the origin story? Okay, uh, overall, like, I, it, it's okay. It's, uh, the, the, this bird's going to live. Mm-hmm. Um, again, not up my alley, but I think that it's, you know, again, sign of the times, could play out well, it has potential. Okay. All right, uh, moving on then to uh, the uh, World's Fair Comics number two. I think that was just uh, Johnny Thunder visits the World Fair or something along those lines. Like I say, untitled, but then you know, after the fact, just sort of convenience title put on there. Mm-hmm. Um, introduction of, uh, at least you know for our purposes, Daisy Darling. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, she, she loses. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I didn't understand her in particular because, like, what does she think? Like, I, I get like, from the first story that Johnny Thunder doesn't understand he actually is that stupid mm-hmm. you know like he, he he doesn't get it but what's his girlfriend thing i don't know like, like honestly like it, i'll be completely honest with you this is the only story i've ever read that had daisy darling in it so i don't know what her deal is <laughs> but uh, but but that being said when we were looking at the bob hughes thing um you know she didn't last that long she was very soon um you know replaced by his adopted daughter uh peachy pet <laughs> <laughs> That's just that's just cute. Yeah. You know. Um also in, in this in this story he I thought he was suspiciously close to figuring out what the the words are. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we'll, we'll let that slide. Um this is a, another example of changing trends in, you know, like what's funny, mm-hmm. you know, throughout the ages. Johnny Thunder really seems to be a dumb guy with dumb luck and and he don't know. So, overall judgment then? 
Yeah, bird dies. <laughs> Just right out. <laughs> no, Bam. No debate, no nothing. No. <laughs> All right. Okay. Um, so that's one up, one down. Um, uh, like I say, the, the other thing we touched uh, a little bit on was the um, the first appearance of the uh, the Justice Society of America in All-Star Comics number three. Uh, admittedly, we only looked at the uh, the first three pages of the, the framing sequence. So, you know, enough to, to kind of get a feel, you know, for, um, you know, what they were setting up, you know, this yeah. sort of round table, uh, you know, trading stories type thing. Um we won't make this a, a formal judgment, but maybe this will be like a rooklet. Um, did, <laughs> did you uh, did you dig it? Or, you know, or... it's a good setup. Uh, yeah. It was it was a nice introduction of like what Johnny Thunder can do with his powers. Yeah, um, was it nice to see him like you know uh, interacting? Pa- Palinite, right? You say with Doctor Fate and you know like, yeah, and, and... he's still goofy, but you know like he's he's at least talking to other people. Yeah, which was nice. So so cool. All right, well. Um, I'm glad you enjoyed that because, as I say, you know, we're going to have to split this one, uh, you know, into two episodes again. Um, so we will revisit the JSA along with Johnny Thunder in our, our next uh, episode. We're going to do a uh, another one of those um, Justice League of America, Justice Society of America crossovers. Um, you know, we looked at Crisis on Earth 1 and Earth yep. 2. Uh, next time up is Crisis on Earth A. So, okay. <laughs> so, so any parting thoughts before we go or is that, is that a wrap? That's a wrap. Okay. All right. So once again, uh, we want to thank everybody uh, for joining us tonight. Uh, We hope you had a good time, and we hope to see you here next time on the Parliament of Rooks podcast. Thanks, everybody. any questions, comments, corrections, or suggestions, you can email us at tporpodcast at gmail.com. 